Welcome to Tulsa Titans, highlighting our local business leaders who are making a difference. Today, I'm with Joe Davidson. He owns Oklahoma Joe's Barbecue. Uh, you've seen his name on smokers. You've seen his uh, name probably on barbecue sauce. If you ever picked up barbecue sauce, and he's won over 300 barbecue competitions. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good to be with you. I'm glad you made time to be with us. I want to dig right in. You and I were talking off camera uh, kind of about how your business started in 1987, but you didn't win any barbecue competitions when you started. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, it, yeah, I'm, I'm like every other guy in the world that loves barbecue. And I, I grew up going to famous places in Oklahoma, like Slicks and Wild Horse Mountain, some you know, just iconic barbecue joints, you know. So as I got older and went to college, I wanted to get to be where I could barbecue. Well, I was a welder by trade, and that's how I paid my way through college and, you know, was going to be an ag teacher. So I got my bachelor's degree in ag education, and then I thought, I've made a strategic error. I've got this degree in ag education. I found out that I don't like high school kids now. So <laughs> I decided, well, I'm going to become a college professor. So I was working on getting my master's degree in ag engineering. And I built one smoker for my, myself, one for my dad, one for my brother. And a professor saw one and said, hey, would you sell me one? And I said, yeah, I'll sell you one of those things. And then I sold him one. And then another one wanted one. And at that time, I was thinking, man, there's, there got, there's going to be a market for this. And I started trying to perfect my craft of making smokers first because I've always felt like that was you got to have a great tool in order to get great product is what it boils down to. So I saved up 2000 bucks, went to the State Fair of Oklahoma and uh, with with 12 cookers and sold all those the first weekend. And when the fair was over, I had orders for 108 more. So I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, I don't need to be a college professor. I want to build smokers. Well, one of the things that drew so much attention to my smokers is that you got to have them fired up. So at that fair, I was cooking and I was sampling meats and stuff like this. And I was going, you know, this is really good. I'm really good at cooking sausages and, you know, barbecued bologna, some stuff like that. But I wasn't very good at cooking briskets and pork butts with I, no one had ever taught me how to do that you know but I knew I wanted to get really good at that and I, a lot of people that I admired were going to competitions at that point in time one of them was Danny Head of Head Country Barbecue and as I, as I was building smokers that's how I came into the, that circle of the competition world and then it hit me I thought you know that's the best way to really sell more smokers is to go to barbecue competitions and really treat it like a fair where I'm just taking five or six cookers there, having them all go in and it draws attention to people because it's a new product that never been seen before, you know. And the first cook-off I ever did was the T-Town barbecue cook-off during Mayfest. And I won a third place in brisket and a fifth place in poultry. And you would have thought I'd won a world championship from all the hooting and hollering that was going on at the time. But, you know, it was it, then I was like, man, what could be better? As a young man, you get to, number one, it, we all like competition. We like that, you know. And then number two, we love barbecue. So I was getting to cook barbecue. And at that time, I was like, and I'm getting to drink beer all night long with my buddies, too. So that was kind of, it, it had all the elements that a young man would really like about a hobby 
you know. So I started doing that, but man, it was long haul. I mean, 87, I did cook-offs, 88 did cook-offs. I practiced all the time. I was practicing and making my kids and my wife eat barbecue that sometimes wasn't very good. They were like, dad, please stop making us eat barbecue, you know. And finally, I started really honing it down. I got, I developed my own dry rubs. I developed uh, my own barbecue sauce at the time. And you know, by 91, we were like, man, we're getting pretty good. My brother was on my team. And my that was the other thing I loved about competition barbecue is that it's something that you can do with your family. You know, it's a, most sports and competitions are somewhat individual. Or even if it's a team sport, it's not like you're getting to do it with your family, have them on your team, you know. So barbecue, you could, though. So I love that aspect of it. Friends and family were enjoying us. My parents would come to competitions, all this. So we made it a celebration every time we went to an event and made it special and just had soaked it up. And then when you really finally start getting good, that, that's, that's the reward that comes with it. You didn't do it only for that reason, but it comes with time, you know. And so we continued to perfect our skills. And it was like we hit all cylinders in 1993, actually. So you think about it. I mean, that was a good six years almost since I started. I won my first world championship. That was the Jack Daniels World Championship. And we won best sauce on the planet and best dry rub on the planet that same year. So it all kind of clicked at that point in time. So it took us a good long while of practice and hard work and, you know, endurance and just not willing to, you've got to have real thick skin to be, a barbecue it's kind of like being an osu cowboy you got to have thick skin to be one because we've we've had our shares of of, uh, of whippings you know over the years no that's fantastic so you know i picked up from that and you and i talked about you had fun i mean that was a key ingredient yeah. to be able to drive that long and uh in thick skin uh so we can talk a little bit more about that but what so on that journey from from having a vision you know, you're making smokers, but said, Hey, I really see that I need to be able to barbecue and really, mm -hmm. you don't know how to win in a world championship. I mean, that's, that's kind of everybody's dream, right? Is they have that a is. hobby or something and everybody's dream is I want to be the best. Yep. So in your dream and on that six year journey, what are some of the things that you know, that, you know, or habits that you implemented that helped you be the best? Well, I think that number one is hard work. And I've always said this. I said, you know, we not, it's kind of like in technology as well. We may not be the smartest guys in the world because there's always going to be someone smarter than me. But at that point in time, I was there. No one can outwork me. So my work ethic was there. I made certain that, I mean, when I was building smokers, I was building, working 12, 14 hours a day. And then going to doing competitions and coming back and starting it again Monday to do the, the, the smoker building as well. So the work ethic was of paramount importance. The other thing I will tell you that was so important was that there were people that took time to mentor me. And I was listening. I would try and go talk to every barbecue that was at a competition. As I always thought, every one of these persons that are at this event, man or woman, they all had little pearls of wisdom. And I always felt like if I could pick up one pearl from everyone out there, then I could bring that into my arsenal and be better, you know? And sometimes it's watching from afar. 
as well. What are they doing? How how early are they doing? What time are they putting their briskets on? They're, the guys that are really good, it's it's kind of like I didn't have a pair of binoculars, but I was I was kind of sneaking around looking at seeing what other people that were really good were doing, so that I could see if that was something I should be doing as well. No, that's absolutely great and great advice. You know, work ethic, but don't. Um, and I think especially some guys. I know I know plenty of guys that have a hard time accepting that other people know more and really sitting and listening because there are people around them that can teach them a thing or two. No question about it. I'm still learning every day. No question about that. So in your journey, I mean, from 87 to now it's 2021, who you met that you've admired along the way and, and why do you admire them? You know, there's one person that always sticks out the most. And this was, in 1998, I had rented a little corner automobile shop on the square of Perry, Oklahoma. It was just a little shop, you know. And it got to where after a while, there was a gentleman that came down. His name was Ed. And he'd, he'd come down and I'd have coffee on by seven in the morning. He'd sit down and have a cup of coffee with me. And we'd just visit. He'd say, man, this reminds me so much of when I started. I'm like, so you had a shop? And he said, yes. And I said, where, where is where is it? And he says, well, it was on the other side of town, on the other side of the square. And there was nothing over there at that point in time. So I thought, well, this guy's retired. There's no question about it, you know. So I, we'd visit a little while and I'd say, well, I got to get to work. And he says, yeah, I got to get out of here too, you know. And he would come down, not every day, but every week he would come down and visit with me a little bit. And then one day, we'd been down there in that shop for home maybe close to a year and another gentleman came down and said hello you know I'm I'm um, I'm, I'm the executive vice president of Ditch Witch and um, Mr. Malzon asked me to come down and see if you'd be interested in leasing the Ariel Fraley facility and I was going the Ariel Fraley facility I said that's that's a plant that's that's a plant with boom cranes and all this stuff. And I said, I can't afford that. And I said, and who's Mr. Malzon? He said, Ed Malzon, the founder of Ditch Witch. And I said, you're telling me that Ed is the founder of Ditch Witch because he'd never told me this. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't from Perry, so I didn't know this. I was just working. I didn't have time to socialize and network or anything like that. And I said, oh my gosh, I've been sitting around talking to the founder of Ditch Witch all this time, you know. And I said, I still, I can't afford that. And he said, how much can you afford? And I said, I can afford 500 bucks a month here. So I can give you 600 there. And he says, okay, we'll take it. And I said, you'll take 600. And he says, yes, we will. And I said, let me ask you something. If, if I'd offer you 400, would you have taken it? And he says, yep, I would have, you know, so I was going, dad, damn it. I missed out on 200 bucks of savings a month, you know, because that made a difference back then. Well, I moved out there and they helped us move our equipment, did all this stuff for us. And then I would be like, I, I need some help in this aspect of it. I wonder if Ed would help me. So if I had any question, I'd call and see if I could come over and meet with him. I'd go to his office and this was a huge facility. I mean, it looked like it, there must've been 15 acres under the roof, you know, and huge corporate offices, plush, beautiful. I'd walk in there and I'd say, Ed, this is my question. And he would always pull out his drawer, file drawer right next to him. He'd prop his feet up and says, Joe, he says, I don't know what to tell you to do, but this is probably what I would do. 
And he, that was always what he would say every time. And then I'd say, you know, I've got an engineering question. He'd send en engineers over to my plant and to help me. Yeah. And then I'd say, I've got a manufacturing question about this. And they, they'd come over there one time particularly, they said, you need a shear. You need a Y-song shear, a big shear. And I said, well, how much is a Y-song shear? And they said, about a quarter million bucks. And I was like, good gosh. <laughs> How about something realistic? I'm still going to be using a cutting torch to, to do this work, you know. And they left and they came back. They said, you know what? We're going to be uh, replacing our Wysong shear with a new shear, and we'd be glad to sell it to you. And I said, how much? He said, $10,000, and we'll finance it for you. And they and they not only sold it to me, they brought it over and installed it for me, you know, set it up for me. When I had questions about finances and what we should be selling our product, as a young man, and a lot of us feel this that happens is that we don't value our work as much as we should. We give things away cheaper than we should. And his CFO would sit down with me and go over the books and the finances and said, you're selling way too cheap. This is what you need your gross margin to be so that you can have some money left over at the end of the day, you know? So, and that was a lot more detailed than that. But in an essence, not only Ed, but Ed deployed his people to help mentor a young man made all the difference in the world in my life. What a story. Ed did a lot for you. It's for absolutely good. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I've run into a couple Eds in my life. And um, I know in that season of their life, it means more to them to give to you than probably anything they're doing in their business. What, what yep. overall couple things did you learn from that? I know he gave a lot to you and made a lot of time, but but for anybody listening, what are the couple things, life lessons that we learned from what Ed did? Well, I think number one is that once someone's done that for you, you realize not only did it impact your life, but it did impact their lives. They took a real shining to you and helped you. And that's, I felt like that's rewarding. So I believe that as we get older, and we have more business experience or cooking experience for that matter. I've mentored so many people, young barbecue cooks, that I just feel like that that's, there's a lot of classes you can go to, but there's nothing like sitting down with someone that is truly talented at barbecue and shares their knowledge like an open book. And that mentoring, I enjoy it immensely. It means so much to me. So that was the main thing. If, if I'm willing to do it, they should do it as well. Mentoring people is part of what we were called to do and help. And that's part of our calling in, in life. That's wonderful. And so kind of along the, the same uh, page, our calling in life, what's your why? I mean, working a 12 hour shift and then doing a full barbecue competition. I mean, I know there was beer included, but, but really this season, you know, you get out of every out of bed every morning with so much going on and so many people working for you. Why do you do it? Mm -hmm. Well, I've I've had the same philosophy since I started my company, and it's really it's it's at the core of our values, and that is that someone's got to be the best in the world. So why can't it be us? No one else is better than us, really. I mean, so if I want to be the best barbecue in the world. I'm going to become the best barbecuer in the world. And that's that truly striving for perfection is that. And, you know, we really, as, as we grew our company, 
and we continued to refine our company, we really sat down and focused on what are our core values? What makes us tick? And why would we hire anyone for, that works for us that doesn't have the same core values? You know, so that that's what drives us. Ours, we use the acronym that we call it plate because we're in the restaurant business now, you know, but what we say is that just easy for our employees to re remember something, you know, number one is perfection. We want to be perfect in everything we do as much as we can. We strive for excellence, perfection, you know, the L and the plate stands for learning. We we'll want to continually learn and improve, you know, then the, the A, that's attitude. We've got to have a can-do attitude. No matter what, we have a can-do attitude. The T is teamwork. Everyone needs to be dependable on our team. If we can't depend on someone, they don't need to be on our team. You know, And the E is for exceptional customer service. And we are in customer service business. That's what we do. We may sell barbecue, but we're there to influence their life, make their life better. We don't know what's going through their mind or what they're going through. But if we can serve them a hot, fresh meal of barbecue, their life's going to be better for a moment. It was wonderful. Yeah, and, and I, I see it every time I come in there because um, I eat at your, your Broken Arrow location quite often is there is a specific culture piece that runs through all of your employees. So outside of really understanding your why and the core values for employees, how do you distill the learning to listen, especially with young professionals and the, the mm -hmm. take time to help somebody else? How do you distill those things into your team? Well, I think that number one is that I've found that when I was really, I was a salesman with smokers. I sold smokers, you know, and we sold the best smokers in the world. But everyone, most, most people like to hear themselves talk, especially younger people, younger professionals. They, they've got an opinion and they want it to be heard, you know. So being patient and listening is a true art form in itself, you know. And then learning to ask the right questions to continue the conversation. And most of the time, I believe that instilling our core values into the others is more about getting the buy-in from the very beginning, learning what makes them tick. Why do they want to do this? The restaurant industry is not the most glamorous industry in the world. Building smokers as a, as a welder that worked for me wasn't the most glamorous job in the world, but as a leader, if I can really inspire them and make them love working for us, for me, I do believe that that, that creates a loyalty and a buy-in to our core values and it will help them in their later life as well. Because a lot of these people that are working for me in my restaurants, it's their very first job they've ever had. And it's, your first job is a powerful thing. I mean, you've learned so much of that. And it can either be a wonderful experience or an awful experience. I'm sure that everyone <laughs> at one point in time in their lives, I know I've had a few jobs that I was like, man, I really wanted to be a farmer, but I didn't realize I'd have to be in a hog pen. All I was doing was using a pressure washer to wash hog poop off, off the feeding floors. You know, that was not a really good job that I loved, you know, but I did it, you know. So, but it was part of the step of learning about life and learning about work. So teaching good work ethic always, and, and my, you know, 
having the right person, the right chair is so important. So if you put someone in a position they're really not well suited for, not only did I do them a misservice, I did myself a misservice, you know? So that's, and that's part of what we believe is part of our EOS system, you know? And that's something that we really embrace now as we continue to learn and to, to be better and be excellent. Well, you've got to employ new, new, new tools all the time. That's what it boils down to. Well, I'm so glad that you said, uh, basically, you can't look at everything, everybody's highlight reel. When they're on top of the mountain, you can't just want that. You got to yeah. get the pig pen. You know, the pig pen times what makes professionals professionals. Um, no doubt about it. You get to instill that in young professionals. And because you hire and equip and have for such a long time, young professionals, and I like to mm -hmm. say, we all, we all really want to move the needle, right? We need to quit yeah. looking at the mountaintop and just understand we need to move the needle daily. What mm -hmm. are, especially right now with, with all the distractions and everything we can grab on, what are three things you think young professionals should stop doing so much if they really want to get to that mountaintop? Well, you know, one of the challenges that we've faced and it's, it was, we allowed it to occur, you know, but Social media and cell phones have created an environment where they'd rather be talking to someone on the phone than they would be in person. We're in the self, you know, we're, we're in the, the service community. This, we're here to talk to people, to entertain them in a sense and make their day better and brighter when they're there. So that was the number one thing is that come in, check your phones, don't have it out when you're, you can get it when you're on break, et cetera everyone has to learn that i mean even adults do this you know and there's nothing more um, frustrating to us as owners of a restaurant than to see our employees on a phone when there's a customer standing there looking like what are you doing there you know so that's that's what and i know that seems so simple but until you really have the gumption and say you know what check them at the door we're not it's like the old days you went into a saloon you had to check your firearms at the door check your phones at the door and get it when you leave get them when you're on break if there's an emergency they know what your your parents know where you're at work so they can get a hold of you there's no doubt about that you know so that was number one number two is really working with them about their communication and learning skills that's really, and when you're onboarding these employees, you get a sense real quickly, do they, do they get it? Do they want it? And do they have the capacity to do it? it? It's pretty quick to be able to assess that. And if someone gets it, they get the job, they understand that, they want it, and they've got the skills to do it. And, you know, the reality is that this is, it's not rocket science. This is barbecue that we're dealing with. So it's fun. You know, it's barbecue's fun food, you know. So, and it's uniquely American and Oklahoman as well. And it's, it, it's, it doesn't hold anything against anyone. It's not left wing. It's not right wing. It's not, you know, it's, it's not OU versus OSU versus TU. I mean, everyone loves barbecue, you know. So that's what we try and instill our kids communicate with people, look them in the eyes, and be respectful and just, Treat them like you want to be treated. That's the second aspect of it. The other thing that I really love is learning them that good work and hard work 
and being dependable has rewards that come with it. And we don't wait a long time to start promoting people from within. And we make it very clear. We'd rather have someone that becomes a GM that came up through the ranks than to hire an outside individual because they don't know about our core values right off the bat. And we don't know them. You know, we don't know what bad habits we have to undo before the, they become great for us. So these young people, they've got an opportunity to advance. And I think that's everyone's goal. Even if it's, they know this is a stepping stone before they go to college. If I can get them at 16 years old and keep them, maybe I get to keep them even until they're 20 when they go to the Tulsa, you know, to Tulsa Community College for a couple of years before they go away. Man, if I can keep them for four years, I'm tickled to death. And they've learned a lot of skills. They've been promoted. They start making more money. They can be a key holder or a restaurant manager before they go off to college. So, you know, risk and reward, that's the way we look at it as business. But hard work, diligence, dependability, and reward, that's really important for young people. That's great insight and advice. And, and you are uniquely poised to give it. You, like you said, even the best employees, you turn over about every four years. Yes, it's we do. Tip for somebody. That's a mm -hmm. lot of training equipment. So we appreciate it. Uh, yeah. One last question. So you're out at your ranch. Let's say you got to spend a month there and you can't go. Uh -huh. And you've mm -hmm. read in, in your day, if you had to pick two books to reread and really take some time through, what <laughs> would they be and why? Okay, well, man, that's a great question. There's only one book that you really need, and that's the Bible. <laughs> so uh, it's the living word. It's something that no matter how old we are or how young we are, it's, it relates to you, you know. So there's always going to be some scripture that speaks to you on every individual day. And so that's number one, the ultimate uh, owner's manual for humans. Number two, man, I could reread Traction all the time. I just love the book Traction because it is, it's really teaching you as a leader how to empower your employees. And it's a way to cascade messages, not only from people in the corporate suite to the middle managers down to the dishwashers. It, it just teaches you all that. And, and of course, the, the book called well, what the heck is EOS is the perfect book, obviously, for those middle managers to read as well. Because sometimes they're like a level 10 meeting. What's the, you know, this and that. They don't really understand it, but we want them to get it. We want them. And that keeps us all tied in, together and constant communications. And, you know, it's like you said, I'm at the ranch, but there are certain things that as an owner, we need to know every day that are part of the scorecard. And it, ought to, it shouldn't be more than five or six things that you ought to be able to look at every day and know it's, it's, I, it, that's my barometer to know, are we doing okay? Are we doing bad? Or do we need to focus attention on it? That's what traction will do to you. And rereading and re-reminding, that's really good. I did love Killers of the Flower Moon, though, too. I could read that again. Joe, if somebody wants to reach out to you with a question, you know, you know, I've talked about all the different ways that people try to communicate. What's your preferred method? You know, I think that the, the best way is to email me. And, I, you know, if I don't catch it, my executive assistant will catch it. And 
roll those through to me, you know, with, as we all are very busy, we've got a lot of moving parts, you know, but it may be that I don't check my emails all the time, but I check them every morning. I check them every evening, you know, and I always, I, I like to do things kind of like Walmart does. They've got the sunset rule. If you get me an email sent to me before four o'clock that day, I'm going to try and get back to you before the sun goes down that day. If it's after four, uh, maybe the before sundown the next day. A long day. Well, great. What's what's a good email address for you? Mine is Joe at okjoes.com. Well, and everybody, thank you. This is Kellen Cowan, one of the partners here at New Wave Solutions. Joe, genuinely, thank you so much for giving well, me that. It, it was my pleasure.